Welcome to SoFarscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this, this is, is the story, story so Farscape. Or I should say, previously on Farscape. Farscape. Because we're in part two. This is a Look at the Princess. Part two, I do, I think. We've got a lot to uh, to go through, so how about we uh, we jump right in? Let's go. Awesome. This is the second part of the Look at the Princess trilogy, which I did my very best not to call a trilogy and not spoil the fact that there was another episode coming. Well, I will <laughs> yeah. say that I did have a bit of a inkling about halfway three quarters through the episode. I was thinking like this is run- this episode feels like it's running very long. Yeah, and then usually they're closer to a resolution by now, aren't and they? Then you get to the point that uh, yeah, it's like hmm, this might run a little bit longer than I think it will. But this was my experience as well when I saw it the first time. Like I was used to the, the odd Star Trek two parter. Yeah. Uh, and so when, when it was announced that this was Look at the Princess, or last week's episode was Look at the Princess Part 1, oh, cool, we've got a two-pitter. And then you get nowhere near a resolution, mm. and it all just keeps mounting. And you spend so much time with the stress that they're all in, and then to be continued. It oh. did feel a little bit like a middle-of-a-trilogy episode movie. You know, you know how the yeah. second part of a trilogy always has a little bit of um, continuation of the first, and it, it, it tries to set up its own arc of tension, right? But yeah. it, but it always has that feel of there is going to be more coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're never quite there. It's never quite resolved. Yeah. It's particularly interesting in this case because I told you last time that it had two directors mm-hmm. these uh, these episodes, yes. Andrew Prowse and Tony Tills, and that was because originally, oh, let me see. I think it was just Tony Till. Oh, I don't even remember which one was the original director of the two-parter as it originally was. Right. But it was a two-parter that ran pretty long, and by the end of it, they still had 18 minutes of footage, good footage that they just didn't have time to include. And so much later in the season, the decision was made, we're going to pad it out to a to three-parter. Oh, and they, and, had to, and they had to come back to it and reshoot or shoot additional material, I suppose. Exactly. A dozen and a half extra scenes were written for that. That's why, like, the production number on this one, I mean, the last one was uh, uh, season two, episode 11, production number 211, and this was... 221, because oh. it was only... Oh, wow, uh, that's quite a bit later then, yeah. Yeah, so I've been sitting here trying to figure out, like, which of these plot lines were original... Right. ...and which ones were added. Like, I think maybe the Moya stuff was a later addition. I certainly felt that certain scenes, they were definitely taking their time. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like, oh, a slow pan away from John as he is moping on the bed, and, and stuff like this, where you're sitting there like, okay, they're padding now. Did you feel that? Yes. Okay, no, that's fair. Like <laughs> that's like, or, or at least they're taking an, a little bit of t- a general talk about the episode. Yeah, exactly. I felt that there was a very strong ebb and flow to the episode, which mm. seemed to be very much uh, aligned with John's mood, or not necessarily his mood, but his Ooh. emotional state. Tell me about that. How? So you have the, uh, the just the way it's shot. In the, the, the first half in the beginning, it starts out with a little bit of fighting and a little bit of uh, conspiracy, and John is still, you know, clinging to the fact that things might. Uh, might work out one way or the other. Yeah. Then there's the the let's call it a frantic scene in this in space where John is basically Whoa, flipping yeah. his shit and it, yeah. it completely changes the way that uh, the episode is. Uh, that, that it's shot, the, the action, the, the, the cinematography, the cinematography. Yeah. All right, all right, and then yeah. it goes back to the end of the episode where there is a certain slowness and at peace almost, yeah. even though he's uh, after he's had his thing. So yeah, that I noticed that definitely. Interesting. Yes, I I had the same feeling, but I was sort of captivated by the 
lingering emotional, uh, uh, like drawing out these emotional beats, these emotional confrontations mm-hmm. between these characters. And like, I take a lot of notes when we're watching. My pen yeah. is constantly moving. And I just noticed at one point, I was trying to write a new note that my pen was dry because I'd just been, <laughs> yeah, I'd just been like so captivated by uh, a particular scene. And yeah, I, I remember so much of this trilogy, but I barely remember the middle. Right, well, that's what I said, middle episode syndrome. Well, but I was completely captivated by okay. it. Like, I didn't feel that any of it was uh, was wasted. Okay, so maybe we should just jump in at the beginning. Yes, uh, let's have a, uh, a few synopses as they have been submitted by our listeners. Oh, damn, yes, we have a format for that. Yeah. Yes, Billy Roberts says, will he or won't he? That's the question. And an old foe shows up to pay his respects. Plus, Dargo has a confession to make. Meanwhile, Zahn has to face off with a celestial who looks and sounds like a lot like Rigel. Did you get that? Sorry, well, we'll get we'll Daddy get to it. Sounds like Rigel. Oh, it's the it's the guy. Yes, it's uh, Jonathan Hardy. Right. I had no idea. I've never seen Jonathan Hardy before. My, I, I was I was constantly sitting there thinking like, okay, WTF is Caligula doing here? You know, it's <laughs> He's freaking Welsh Caligula. Whatever. Right. It's yeah. like <laughs> okay, and uh, and we have another synopsis from Wookie, which is while Moya and Zan wrestle with God. Crichton finds himself learning new methods of space travel, then holds a pose that would make a sculptor cry. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yes. That wasn't a good pose. It was not. Despite Dargo's best efforts to really... I, I, I really love that. Okay, so this is right to the end of the episode when, <laughs> when he gets turned into a statue and Dargo just tries to make him lift laugh. Lift his spirit. Lift his spirit. And it, it totally works. And he, he's going to strike the, 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 the v, v pose. And, yeah. and then, of course, yes. It hurts a lot. And he gets, yes, it turns into a, like a horrible sketch that, that Han Solo would be proud of, or at least... <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> Unexpected there. So, yes, thank you to uh, Wookie and Billy Roberts once again for synopsizing Look at the Princess Part 2, I Do, I Think, which opens with previously on Farscape. And we're treated to a montage uh, reminding us of how we got here. Previously on Farscape. That there was uh, an acceleration in the intimacy between uh, John yes. and Aaron that was deflated when she hit the eject button. Yeah. No. No. Aaron. I will not Aaron, be a wait. slave to your hormones. It's you I find pleasing. They have been getting it on the end of uh, episode 210, I think it was. There was like definitely some friskiness going on between oh, everyone. Oh, the body swap. Yes. Yeah, 209, I think. Oh, was it 210? Uh, it must have been 210. No, 210 was my three Crichtons. Where amazingly they didn't get it on with each other, which uh, uh, missed okay. an opportunity there. Crichton. Yeah, I suppose so. So th- their relationship is difficult because Erin isn't being completely clear or about, honest with herself. I think honest with herself is way to is, a, is yeah. a good way to say it. Like she's afraid to to admit this, and so they arrive on a planet where uh, people communicate with their tongues. Few drops from these little vials, and we can tell if our DNA is compatible for children. It's a whole world designed for your rutting instincts. DNA sample, I guess. Oh, is that what the kids are calling it these days? <laughs> <laughs> Princess Mononucleosis approaches yes. approaches Crichton. Please. And it turns out that he is genetically compatible with her, despite the fact that her brother poisoned her DNA. Boy, what the hell does that mean? Right. And I guess that means makes sense, because, like, John's not a uh, Sebastian, he's a human, so Sebastians seem to be, like, hyper-compatible with everybody. Yeah. Considering the fact that we have a, a half-breed Luxon Sebation and we have and a half-breed has... Scarron Sebation. Yeah, very good point. And they are 
anatomically quite different. We know that fluxins, like they have two of mm. everything. Right, sorry, I thought you were talking about sebaceous and humans, but... They don't have uh, a temperature regulation gland, and no. they live a lot longer than humans, right. although it's not specified exactly how long. No. I was just wondering, two of everything, how many fanfics do you think that that spawned? Well, let's call it the Blue Mivonks one. And <laughs> okay, maybe something for the Patreon. Oh, God, no, we're not promising 18-plus fanfics for the Patreon, because oh no. <laughs> yeah, we, so there's a lot of palace intrigue, because here's the situation. Princess Katrala is heir apparent to yeah. the throne, but on the condition that she marries with a genetically compatible mate before her upcoming birthday. Yes. So that's the whole plot, and that's why she's interested in... And her brother crime. is... Um, Prince Clavor. Yep. Yes, who is uh, basically... He kind of wants to be on in on the throne, and he's got to deal with the Scarans, who are helping him, and presumably helped him with the genetic poisoning of uh, his sister. Yeah. Which her sister knows about, and her sister is kind of cool about, because... She doesn't really want it, and she's got her little side squeeze in the uh, uh, shape of the... Uh, Councillor Tyno. Yep. A subplot which I noticed was completely missing in t uh, through this entire episode. Yeah, uh, yes. She's completely given up on Tyno. She's making it happen with John. Yeah, I guess we got the resolution to that when they were in the Garden of Betrayal yeah. in the previous episode, where he assured her that you must exchange a spouse. But I love you. Once again, David mm. Kemper, just wonderful, wonderful word use. So I think she's taken that to, to heart. But there's a further complication, which is to stimulate John's interest in marrying her daughter. There's nothing you can say that's going to make me marry your daughter. Empress Novia has invited... Oh, hello, Crichton. Scorpius. Yes. So either you marry my daughter or I give you to that abomination. Which is a good, as we say in Dutch, stick behind the door. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got the princess as the carrot and you've got uh, Scorpius as, as, the, the as the stick. Yeah. We see some of John's flashbacks to the Aurora, Aurora chair and he does not want to go with them. And we left John in the last episode getting decked in royal crimson, yeah, is it? it yeah, is. It's a little bit pinkish. It's not entirely, I mean, it's not completely royal, because later on in the episode, the entire wedding party is uh, also wearing red. Yeah, that seems to be like and, a and, party colour. Yeah, and we have uh, sure. um, uh, Ambassador Australian Accent, who is also getting his uh, red. That's not uh, narrowing it down. No, I guess not. You, you You're going to have to be. You know, the guy with the beautiful hair who is uh, trying to put the moves on ah. Aaron. Yes, apparently, Dragon. The, yeah, he has this great interest in the barren wastelands. Apparently, uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes up to refuse. I'm going to explore the barren wastelands, and I'm like, is that a sex thing? Like, is that is, it, is that maybe, somewhere to lick? Maybe or? maybe he's assuming that Aaron is a little bit more uh, blue mivong than he, he thinks he is. <laughs> We uh, we last saw John in dire straits because his uh, his palace guard was murdered by another palace guard with yes. uh, the a paper neck, and he was accosted by several thugs all dressed in these uh, sort of Romanesque white robes, held down and being attacked with what looked like a flesh melting yes. ray. That sounded like it was going to be so cool and such a thing, and it completely panned out to being absolutely nothing in the first ten seconds of the episode properly starting. Now on Farscape. Because there go, my, in jumps. there go my fun bucks. Oh, that's right. You had a prediction. As he is being zapped by this ray, in comes uh, the squeeze of the prince. Yes, Genevian Charto, whom we've seen as a bimbo hanging around like, oh, if you're not going to be king, then I'm not going I'm to marry, marry you. you. Yeah, <laughs> she has moves. Flying kick, flying yep. kick. She does like jumps all over the House place. Flying daggers. Does like snaps a few necks. 
has an extending spike from her wrist, which she just like <laughs> shoots up under someone's chin. Oh, and that's a handy little thing to have around. But gosh, it's reaffirming my my idea that one of the genetic differences between Sebastians and humans is that they have like paper bones. They're, yeah, like she's snapping arms <laughs> and, and, and necks. True, and soon reveals why that is because she introduces herself to John. Janavian Chato. Disruptor, Peacekeeper Special Directorate. And which department are you from? And John, oh, I'm so proud of him. Yes. You should know I can't tell you that. Yes, he he immediately (laughs) plays it cool, and she huffs at that and still tries to uh, talk him into revealing a little bit more about what he is and what his assignment is, and that she she admires him for having the dedication of being turned into a statue for 80 cycles. Yeah, because she's she's a peacekeeper infiltrant whose job was to get close to to Claivor and undermine the Scarron's attempts to get buddy-buddy with him by having someone... Yeah, even closer. I mean, she asks, so what are you doing here? And he says, the same as you. She's just rolls her eyes, trust them to send backup and not tell me about it. Yes. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, they did the same thing to me. <laughs> it's so smooth. It's just like in uh, Till the Blood Runs Clear when he just decides to be uh, uh, what is a butch and Sundance. Butch and Sundance. Like he just sees the situation. Okay, a lie needs to be told. Frelet, here we go. And he knows how the peacekeepers think at this point, and he... He's played a commando before, and it's worked to to a great degree until Scorpius was there. So after the break, he goes to see his uh, brother-in-law-to-be. You want a piece of me? Hmm? Want a piece? Hmm? Help, gods, help! No, 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 no. God, and just slaps slaps him. Slaps him on the left. Slaps him on the right. I noticed that they really went overboard with the foley on the slapping scenes in this episode. They're enormously loud. Yes. They're unsubtle. I wonder if it was like that on television where it's just because there was a highly enthusiastic Dolby DTX mix. It could be, but it's, uh, yeah, he slaps him around a bit, tells him off for sending uh, murderous assassins onto him. He's a total honey, that prince. He's such a, he's such a wimp. He he's is. A whimpering, like... So he, he, he was totally channeling you, Laurie, there in their black other... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you can't say. I got a little shade of uh, ooh Prince Joffrey or maybe King Joffrey at that point in uh, in in Game of Thrones. Uh, you can't talk like that to the king. Oh yeah, King Joffrey. And then Tyrion slaps him. Now I've struck the king. Has my hand fallen from my wrist? Yes. <laughs> he just keeps on smacking that dude and like impressing on him that. Don't try to kill me again, because it makes me angry. So I got a little bit confused there. So in the background, uh, as he's slapping the king around, someone is having a bath. And is that our uh, peacekeeper agent? What do you want? Nothing, darling. <sighs> you know, well, who is I that? struggled with that as well, because it's probably Genevian, but we can't really tell, because she's not in focus, and I don't... No. All the women's voices have Australian accents, and I, I really struggle to tell them apart. In walks uh, our uh, little... What's her name again? Uh, she's called Rona, and her species is Jakench. Okay, just to keep it easy. <laughs> yeah, okay, which, which, how does that make it easier? No, I just gave it, you two names. I was being sarcastic. Okay. So she walks in uh, uh, just as Crichton walks out, and Claivor tells, get mummy, get my mummy. Yes. Get my mother! Go get the empress. Yep. Now, a lot of people give Crichton talking to. Um, the first of them is uh, Councillor Tino, who is joined by Dargo and Chiana, who 
I, I, I love how Chan is being like dismissive and flirty, she, uh, uh, yeah. flighty. Uh. You bitch slapped the trick. She's amazing. She goes back and forth because he's claiming that he was attacked and uh, and almost killed, but there is no evidence about it because apparently all the dead bodies have disappeared. There's no record of these people ever having existed and now not being there anymore. It's yep. Because apparently Genevian used that same flesh-melting beam on the corpses and yeah. therefore eliminated you'd them completely. S- you'd still think that we suddenly have four guards missing. Nobody no, knows where they the are. just one. It was four assassins. R- oh, yes. But even then, yeah, you know, right. you'd think this person who is cleared to guard the royal regent, you'd think that if he's gone, then people would go like, huh, where did he fuck off to? Yes, yes, I, I agree with you because later on, uh, the Princess Catrala is giving him a hard time about it as well. John points this out as well. Like, what about my guard, my special, special guard? Yeah. And Princess oh, Catrala goes, just... he could be anywhere. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> Have you not read Dune? You should really look into this. Your borders are close. Whatever. Speaking of the princess, she also gets into a round of bitch slapping with uh, John. <laughs> She gets a bunch of smacks in, and they're also really loud. And this is okay. We've got to, we've got to lead it in like step by step because it's fucking glorious. So Dargo is trying to convince John once again. He's being a very good conciliary. Calm down and just play this game. And he's on the sort of on the side of Councillor Tino. Mm-hmm. And Chiana goes back and forth between, "Oh, you bitch slapped him," and "Huh." Well, it is a weird story. You are not Chiana. Are you sure you didn't make it up? Like, yeah. <laughs> which side are you on? No idea. She's just having fun hopping the fence. And then she's been having fun doing a lot of hopping recently. But... <laughs> yeah. And then Councillor Tino says this is impossible because the Empress and, by extension, the entire royal family abhors violence, yeah. violence. And in walks Princess Catrala, starts slapping her around like a side of beef. <laughs> gives him a knuckle sandwich in the teeth because she is no fool. She knows that her brother poisoned her DNA, but she still doesn't believe that he would kill anyone. Now, John... Technically, he didn't, but, you know, he's meddling with parties who clearly would. There's a lot of smacking going on. John fails to convince her just yet. That comes later. But in the meanwhile, we cut back to Moya. Yeah, there goes more of my fun bucks. Okay. I I predicted that they wouldn't show up again for quite a while, and yeah, no... Hey, you swing big. This is the Farscape way. Like, we've seen that with the episode where big swings, sometimes you miss, sometimes you really hit. Very true. So, Zahn is running around Moya trying to find the place where this uh, divine intrusion is happening. Where, pilot? Which way? Yeah, because the sort of mist nebula that they're in has penetrated the hull, and there is a great shot as Zahn is running. The camera follows her, and she's running past one of the holographic clamshells. Like, Mm. a camera move with a hologram is expensive in 2000. Yes, I can imagine that. DRDs are following hot on her heels, and eventually Pilot tells her that the intrusion is right there with her, and she has to turn around. And yes, we have uh, Caligua uh, standing there in his, like, white brilliance. (laughs) Yes. He's called Kahenu, but who cares? He is Caligula. You named him right. And the little DRDs, the little scuttlebot, like they, they scuttle behind a, a wheel or something. They're hiding. They're yep. peeking around the edge like me and my brother watching Doctor Who back in the day. <laughs> I, lo- I really love how they continuously shot him in a cloud and you yes. never really get to see his feet. It's it's almost like he's hovering or he's just yes, this little yes. cloud thing that is... Uh, and they gave him sort of a, a fat suit to make him look like a... He almost looked like a sphere. 
A little bit, yeah. Right? Speaking of June, he does resemble a little bit of the Baron Harkonnen, except oh. that, like, suddenly whites and... No, come on. That is uncharitable to Jonathan Hardy, who is a, a handsome man, a, a portly gentleman of robust stature. Rest in peace, Jonathan Hardy. I mean, he's not like the blueberry, like, <laughs> chewing gum-eating girl from yes. <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Factory What's yes. her name? Um, Veruca, that Veruca, was Salt. Salt, yeah. Oh, no wonder that came up in the uh, uh, in the synopsis. Okay, okay, now I get it. What was this smoke that hazes around him? Because it has this, this it's not steam. It would be dangerous to be surrounded by that much steam that, that close to your body, but it's... It has such a particular texture. I would assume it's just uh, smoke machine smoke. Does that look like that? It's so detailed. I mean, it looks it's, like... It kind of has to be, because it can't be uh, dry ice, because dry ice settles. It doesn't rise. Yes, correct, correct. Because uh, uh, it's CO2, so it, it, it descends, and it doesn't rise. Heavier like than this. air, yeah. So I would think it's just smoke machine smoke. Wow, okay. Uh, if, well, you, I... if you set it too thick, then it probably does that. Uh. <laughs> you set it too thick? <laughs> Is that what they did with this builder, this god? Set this him to thick. thick. Yeah, well, fair enough. Uh, Zan immediately starts uh, paying her divine respects to him. And he, go, and, uh, he goes, no, 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 I'm not your god. Kalitana Nashpone. Kalitana Nashpone. Become priest. I am the ship's deity, not yours. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Yeah, okay. And she so, immediately clicks onto that. Okay, in that case, we're on first name basis now, and we're, I'm going to talk to you like a normal person. Yeah. Zan's interaction with this builder, this, I was going to say Kahenu, it's Caligula, <laughs> is fantastic. Like she, she says at one point, I've long ago made peace with the idea that alien life practices alien ritual. Which is something, like, we've never heard aliens talk about aliens, aliens because of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have talked about, like, the, the aliens being much more used to other people being aliens. Like, for John, everybody's an alien, but yeah. the aliens here are much used to their being aliens, and they have do different things, and they have different values. Oh, I like that. That's sort of what, uh, uh, what Zan is doing. Like, she encounters something that someone she cares about considers a god, so she's going to give the same sort of benedictions that she give yeah. her own gods until he corrects her on that. That's very good. But yeah, the news is kind of troubling. Now, I didn't completely listen to this entire exchange because I was just captivated by the smoke and in particular, Jonathan Hardy's eyebrows. Because if you look at the shoes, yeah. those are his actual eyebrows. Right. You can see that Rigel was sort of sculpted after Jonathan Hardy almost. Oh, so this is the actual, because the, you mentioned that he got a oh different puppeteer uh, in season two. A different puppeteer, but yeah. this is his voice. Oh, so they kept the same guy doing the voice. Yes, right. that's correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just a different team. But I yeah, also if- noticed that he was almost doing a Dr. Evil pose at the beginning. He wasn't, he was standing there with his hand. It, like, it wasn't quite yeah. like the, you know, the, the pinky, pinky against up, the corner yeah. of the mouth, but it was damn close to it. He's got a lovely outfit. It's very sort of Greek inspired. He's got a, a laurel wreath made out of like copper or gold around yeah. his head. He's got these epaulets and, 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 and white. And for some reason, Jonathan Hardy chose a Welsh accent. Okay. He created these beasts as emissaries of peace. Which is not an easy accent to uh, to imitate. I don't know what uh, uh, Jonathan Hardy's pedigree is on the British Isles, but it oh, it was it sounded lovely to my eyes. Welsh is one of my favourites. Accents of English, right up there with Indian English, which I also adore. And just this, oh, oh, I am the I am Moya's deity. Ooh, oh, that really <laughs> does it for me. 
So, Erin is on the other side, not having things done for her, because she's sitting moping around a little bit, being comforted by Chana when she they're is... Having a, they're having a, like a girl talk moment. I suppose, yeah. With uh, one at of the, the lake of the... Sorry, yes. One of the few times that they actually use matte paintings of the planets that we see around. This is a very Star Trekian shot that you get, and it's not something we see a lot You're on Farscape. right. We saw a lot more of that in the first season. It, unfortunately, it was like we'd already finished recording the first season when Wayne Haag, one of the uh, one of the main like matte painters for season one, actually noticed our tweet that that we sent back in October. And oh 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 oh, you've got to check our Twitter. I'm going to put it in the show notes for this uh, for this episode. Wayne Haag sent us a link to a YouTube like portfolio review that he did oh. of his own matte paintings from season one. Oh, and, that's like, fantastic! Yeah, and shows you like the this was the original photograph, and these are the layers that we put over it, like the Commerce Planet and uh, the Gamak base. It's really, really fun. Well, if fun. it's all about season one, I'm dying to see that, because now I, I can actually have a look at that. They're having some some girl talk, and once again, Chiana is, is repeating to Aaron, you're doing this wrong. You haven't told him how you feel. Oh. He knows what he needs to know. No, he's a guy. Yeah. Look, Aaron, all men are stupid, okay? Yes. <laughs> if you want him to know something, you have to say it. Talking <laughs> of men of stupid... Uh... <laughs> Yes, in comes Dragon, played by... Oh, I said his name last time. He also played Bital, because he's such a very sexy man. Uh, who, yeah, again, Baron Wastelands, or would you like to come join me? And Aaron shoots him down for the umpteenth time. <laughs> yes, and she gives him... Don't feel bad. It's not you. It's me. I don't like you. It's... I don't like you. <laughs> such a good line. That is such a You were cackling. It was yes. great. <laughs> He offers her his little vial of compatibility and she tosses it and, yeah. right into the leg. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> I That line stuck with me. Now, I've at that moment, I was an edgier young man in 2000. I thought, oh, I'm definitely going to use that. I, of course, never used that because it's incredibly sad. It is. Back so, in the palace, John and the princess are having a little heart-to-heart where she's still having a hard time believing the fact that uh, someone would actually uh, go in and murder him. Yeah, what but, about the guard? He could be anywhere. Yes. Yeah, but this mysterious floating sphere comes in and she goes, is that one of yours? And like, I've never seen it before. Well, time to worry. Katrala yep. goes to the door, finds it locked. Oh, John remarks that Obi-Wan had one of those. Yes, I caught that. So his is a lot smaller. Uh, yeah, it's got these lights on it, and then he takes a swing at it. It dodges up and starts to emit gas. gas. A little bit of yeah nonsense going on about like them trying to get out. He tries to smash the window, but they are rescued by the assistant. The what's her face again? Rona. Uh, Rona. Let me write that down. Uh, okay, uh, it's uh, uh, lowercase R O dash capital N A. Got it. Uh, uh, yeah, so through the haze, we see two lights emerge. Uh, uh, Katrala and John are stuck down to with, the down the ground, which turn out to be her eyes, because yes. she can illuminate her eyes. Fantastic. Great. They don't know of an exit, but apparently there's, they are servant exits, which nobody knows about, uh, and the servants just like... That's brilliant, Kay, that hadn't even occurred to me. Yes. yes, there's the secret servant entrances, because they should be... You know, no, servants should be unseen. Yeah, wow. Come on, this way. Manages to get them out. They have a little heart-to-heart there. Oh, now now that I see how you have rescued me, and now I'm willing to marry you, and I believe you. Oh, all. it's yeah, it's because she believes him. She believes he's not a liar, yeah. so she can marry him again. Because yeah. that, was her, uh, that was her big thing. The Empress, in the meantime, is not as convinced, even though she is confronted with the object of uh, the assassination attempt, and Rigel is completely in his element. You may have once ruled 600 billion, but you will not besmirch my son's name. 
Aren't we past that, Novia? You posture and deny any longer, and we both lose what we want. If Crichton leaves, he will flee. Not if you control the situation. I loved this scene. Yeah. Rigel and Empress Novia, and just talking like two rulers, yep. like two parents at the daycare sort of talking about how to manipulate their children into behaving well. It is fantastic. I did think Rigel sounded a little bit odd here, and I don't know why. It's just his voice seemed a little bit weird. I propose we tell no one, not my shipmates or your daughter. Let them all think that Crichton's disappeared. <laughs> it's Rigel in his element. Like yeah, he's not I guess he's so. not stressed, he's not exaggerating. He's, he's not like talking down to to people that he considers beneath or him. Or sniveling or right. yeah. He is just like a ruler who is explaining what he thinks is the appropriate strategy and guiding Novia to get there herself, which is to send Crichton away, hide him away, let everybody believe that he's he's run away mm-hmm. so that the assassins will become careless. Yes. And like, he guides her there so that she can draw the conclusions herself, and then he goes, ah. Precisely. You are most wise, Empress. And you are most manipulative, Domina. <laughs> and you're very manipulative. He's loving it! <laughs> he is their best negotiator. It's so great. Then they wanted to get another bit of money out of the special effects of that little glowy tube screwing into Scorpius's head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because Ryder suggests that, oh, we shouldn't tell anyone, how about that servant that you have, that Rona? Can you trust her? Completely. uh, Who also conveniently still has a ship full of wedding presents floating around somewhere uh, in orbit around the planet in a place where apparently nobody knows about it. That's from her planet. She's a Jakensh. And there's a Jakensh-like delegation for the royal uh, coronation. And uh, she's apparently one of the wedding presents. Which seems a bit weird that, like, someone who's just arrived is suddenly in such a trusted important place of tending to not just john but also earlier to uh the the prince i wouldn't assume that that's the case okay because you're right it would be nonsensical and certainly for someone like the empress to trust rona like that no she says that rona is beyond reproach yeah so they must have a long-term relationship which may be why the jakensh are welcome at the coronation and so they sent a you know ship full of presents but rona is not beyond reproach no because she gives (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because Scorpius offers her... The one thing she can't refuse, money. money. <laughs> like uh, uh, like Weaselton or Weselton, yeah. whatever you pronounce it in Zootopia. And Scorpius is so casual as, once again, this weird sort of blue glow stick brain mincer is screwed back into his head. It's so much currency. As he's bribing this little jacench, played by, once again, Francesca Buller, mm. the Ben Browder's wife. She is very uncomfortable. Especially when he pulls her into his lap. Yes. Uh, Gives her the money, sends her off, gives her some sort of tracking device. I predict that very shortly you'll be the wealthiest Jakensh in this part of the galaxy. Thank you. And I noticed at this point, Scorpius' assistant mentions that someone called Abraca needs to be informed and activated. Finally what? Finally he gets a name, because Braca is the lieutenant that we've seen before. Oh, right, I didn't catch that. My instincts tell me that your career may well be on the rise. Okay, well, it has been a while since we've seen him. Yes. So he was on the command carrier with Crace. Sir. Uh, He served Crace first, Mm -hmm. and then later, like... Sirs. Scorpius, several times, I frelled him. Right. Yes, sir. But he was unnamed. I I kept mentioning that he was played by David Franklin because Uh he hadn't been named yet. And now, finally, we find out his name. Congratulations, sir. 
So I was a little bit disappointed about that because I thought there was going to be yet another peacekeeper uh, intrigue infiltrating. I mean, that would have made That would be worse than uh, on Star Trek Voyager, Chakotay's, like, Maquis ship. Yes. Was Was anyone working for me? The Maquis, yes. Everybody was like a (laughs) bloody infiltrant. Yes. Sure. We see John going with uh, Rona and someone else. Yes, a couple of guards. Uh, yeah, uh, the Empress's paladins, which I thought was a really cool. Yes. Like, they're also uh, above and approach. they're taking one of the Farscape modules uh, uh, to go to Rona's ship. Moya modules. Sorry, yes, Moya's yeah, yeah, yeah. transport, Moya's transport modules. Transport pods. You're right, correct. Transport pods, not the Farscape module. Sorry. She convinces him to use the uh, sort of ident chip that she got from Scorpius. Do you know what this is? Trans sequence ident wafer. Do you know what to do with it? Yes claiming that was a last-minute security protocol, and it seems plausible, so he does. Yep. While they're on their way, yes, we learn that on Moya, the god uh, Caligua, or whatever his name was, has uh, learned about Moya's ability to give birth to gunships. Yeah, not by her choice, but yeah, we created these... Okay, so we learn a lot about, about Leviathan. Yes. Can you give me a summary of what you picked up? about Leviathan origins. Right, well, they're apparently created by these beings, let's call them, let's, let's not go with gods here, but beings. The builders. The builders, yes. Name, yeah. And I believe he said something along the lines that they were supposed to be peace envoys or emission- mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. missionaries Emissaries of peace. Of peace, peace yeah. Yes, uh, which clearly has not really caught on very well, at well, least not with the peacekeepers. Uh, yeah, well. Uh, control collars and all that. Yeah, certainly true. Now, one of the things that I've always found interesting, and I wonder if you caught it the same way, uh-huh. was this suggestion that not necessar- that they didn't necessarily create the Leviathans, but that they imbued her with a soul. Right. Because he, he even says that anyone can give a machine intelligence, intelligence but yes, we gave exactly. her a soul. Yes. Right. So were Leviathans like mechanical constructs or even biomechanical constructs that sort of like self-healing, organic technology, you know what I yeah. mean? And that they were given souls or like some kind of yeah. higher intelligence. What like I, I'm not telling you anything because no, no. I, I'm I'm still very unclear about it myself. How how did it read for you? Ooh, interesting question. I hadn't really considered that. It seemed a little bit smug, smuggish, divine behavior to me from the guy. Yeah, uh, he, he was like, doing he, that. He was a little, being a little bit show offy there and. A soul is a thing which you, I, I suppose it depends on your belief system, if there even is such a thing as a soul. True. Therefore, it, it becomes a little bit of a moot point. I mean, you have self-awareness and you have uh, agency. And is there a soul? Is there anything? A soul generally implies that there is a afterlife, that there is a... Uh, or at right, least some, okay. sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, some sort of transitioning. Either the soul moves on to a different body and then you have, you know... What you call it? Re- uh, reincarnation, right? Yes. Or, or you know, after the soul has done its penance or mortal time, then it goes off and does another thing. Yeah, uh, a nirvana or yeah, yeah. So that would greatly depend on the belief system that this uh, builder is a uh, part of. But whatever the belief system is as regards the Leviathan afterlife, that's where Moya is going because uh, yep. Caligula has decided that she is to be decommissioned. I am here to decommission Moya. To end her existence. And she shuts herself down. Zan objects to this. Yeah. Rather strongly. Vociferously. God, the pain in her face. The In her the voice. Barely yeah. restrained fury. Yeah. Moya, hear me. Whatever this Kahenu has done to you, it is not in your self-interest. 
And so Caligula does something that he hopes will convince her. He gives Moya a voice. And, okay, so this was not very convincing to me. Ah. Because, you know, he's like, oh, well, if you don't believe me, I'll let her tell her yourself. Right, yeah. And then, of course, there's this voice goes, ooh, go Moya, Moya, willing, going. And it's like, okay, maybe you're just making her do that, you know? Oh, fair point. God. I wasn't even that cynical in that moment, but yes, okay. By the time that you have I mean, that cons- kind of control... Yeah, exactly. Considering yeah. how he also earlier, when uh, Pilot pipes up, oh, after he's walking past that uh, moving, oh, that yeah. huge holographic shot, and he just like waves at it, and the screen goes uh, fizzes out and goes blank, and pilots don't talk to builders. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and Zan takes him to task. Ah, A capricious deity. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that arc. And I love where we're going next. Like, back in the palace where... Do you know how it sort of looks like a... I mean, I have a note that says Spalace because it's, it's kind of a <laughs> spa. Everybody's got these robes on. I yeah. guess that's how they roll here. Everything looks like the cool-down room and the steam room. It looks incredibly comfortable. Dargo confronts Rigel with, what have you done? Have you sent him off? And Rigel defends his decision. Oh, I had nothing to do with it. Like, he didn't defend. He's lying he little bastard. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> It was my idea. Talk to Empress Novia. It was our idea. Like, oh, back to his, uh, back to his old self. Because yeah, they can't find Crichton. None of them know where he is. Not, not Tino. Not their space control. Uh, everybody's just missing him since that. Since the transport pod left their weather layer, which is a nice way to de- define yes. like atmosphere. Yeah, because yeah. lots of planets have different atmospheres, and but they all have a layer where the weather happens. And I love how Chiana is again flitting about uh, in this scene. Yeah. And how literally Tino says the same thing, which I was thinking exactly. Like, what was that about with Chiana? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is was all about? So everybody goes off to talk to someone. The uh, uh, Dargo goes off to talk to the Empress, I think, and uh, or to Scorpius or whatever. All of that happens off screen. Aaron wants to go talk to the Scarin again, and Chiana goes, uh, uh, did, uh, "Remember what happened last time? Let me Fair take point. a try." Yes. John, in the meantime, is having a heart-to-heart with uh, Rona, promises her toaster. Yeah, we learn about Jakensh culture and how they disdain personal possessions. But this being Farscape, yeah. you've always got like a cultural trope but the individual is not bound by it. And no. so, like, the only Jakensh we know is the exception to her her yes. cultural predisposition ag- against possessory wealth. She wants it. And she, she asks really him, what's it like, like? Yeah, she really would like to have something. Uh-huh. He talks about his Charlie Parker CDs and his 62 T-Bird. Yep. And she asks him, like, Do you miss not having these things? Well, not really. Things change. Priorities change, but, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is... Great philosophy. I wonder if this was written as a part of padding it out to a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, it does add a little bit of depth of character to Rona, about uh, especially her motivation for going with Scorpius. <laughs> yeah. You, you see that she's processing it as, uh, as he explains all this. She goes, yes, your highness. I shall remember those words, highness. It's John. Yes, highness, yes. Yes, yes, your highness. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Into the girls' bathroom, Room, yes. where uh, where the princess and and Genevian are having a makeup of off, catting at each other while yes. they're getting their hair did. Well, they're do- yeah, they're oh, both they're doing fussing. their makeup. Yeah, they're, yeah right. they're both fussing with their hairline. Pocatrala, so unaware of what it takes to be a slut, Genevian. In walks Aaron, who smacks him up against the mirror, and like has a little heart to heart of her own with the two. 
Hello, ladies. Let go Hope of I'm me. I'm not disturbing. Oh, let go of me. Now listen to me closely so that there's no misunderstanding. Tells him that, like, if either of you hurts anybody, you're going to have to deal with me. Yeah, you can see that Genevian sort of has to, oh, no, wait, I'm still playing the bimbo. I'm still yeah. the bimbo. <laughs> She's can't, really furious. Yeah, can't do anything here. And so uh, as soon as Erin leaves, she just goes back to doing her hair. Yeah. <laughs> like she is undaunted by this. Much less cool is uh, Prince Clavor when yeah. the uh, the Scarron approaches him again. And I love this Scarron. Anytime that he's in view. Yes. Just the way his lips move. It's amazing. He's got big old fish lips. Yeah. yeah. Like, ooh, those are smoochable lips. Ratty little goatee. And they're interrupted by Chiana, who thinks that she can play with the, playing with the big boys, boys now. now. <laughs> and she cannot. She tries no. to walk in with a bluster like, I'm in a bari. You know us? <sighs> I'm an Abari. You may have heard of us. Our Navy can take out command carriers. And the Scarron is not carrying it, yeah. And so she's trying to oh, stay out of his way, jump over here, while continuing to look tough. If anything happens to John Crichton, expect to... Expect retribution. Yeah, jumps up on the bathtub to make sure uh, that she's a little bit taller. And, uh, and oh, no, it's all... Huh, but well, she kind of flits off and... Yeah. She knows she's failed and she yells Frell as she walks out. Okay, well, <laughs> Frell that up. Frell. And now we get to my favorite bit of this entire... Well, the two parts of the trilogy so far. Yeah. The transport pod docks with the Jakensh present ship. I almost yep. said prison ship. I'm used to that Farscape. <laughs> We've got a beautiful, like... Uh, a camera mounted on top of the transport pod as it approaches and docks. Yes. Like, it's a great shuttle shot. The kind of thing that you expect from actual spaceships docking. Yeah. Although I noticed they have very quickly cycling airlocks. Yeah. Uh, a couple of... You get uh, of things you do a lot. This place has an interesting smell. A couple of paladins move in to secure the ship poorly. Yeah. Because they immediately get taken out by Bracca. Very good. Finally, the lieutenant is named, and he is a smug little bastard. Oh, he totally is. Oh, how disappointing you are in the flesh. Oh, I get that all the time. Uh, he manages to get uh, the two paladins down. He captures John. He pays off. Uh, no, he doesn't actually pay off uh, Ronan yet because that becomes a bit of a bone of contention later on. But yes, he- first Scorpius dials in. Yes. That will be him now. Uh, the only one who knows the location of this uh, of this sh- ship, because both of them have had their ident chips replaced, and so they're registered as depleted fuel carriers, which is actually quite yeah, brilliant. Makes sense, yeah. Oh, Scorpius says, inventive, evasive. In custody. Yes. Oh, beautiful word use once again. Mocking John, who's sitting there moping and planning his next move, which... I mean, he doesn't have much of an next move at this point. No. Uh, Scorpius, I thought, in the scene was incredibly calm and collected. He's had none of his usual yeah. eager mannerisms, like anxiousness. He was, like, super in control. Your admirable associate, Cardago, was just here to see me. Of course, since I have no idea where you are, he left feeling, well, unfulfilled. I mean, that's how we've seen him the whole time during this uh, this trilogy. When he yes. walked up to Dargo, when he embraced John, he's always got this, this smug little smile, like, oh, yeah. yeah, Still going according to plan. John, John finds out uh, that uh, Rona sold him out. And the moment that Scorpius is gone, he starts getting into Braca's head. Yeah. Because, okay, Braca tries to get him to comply. Oh, what, you're going to shoot me? 
if I have to. Do me the favor. No, not in the head. No. Scorpio shoots my in brain. In the heart, is it left, is it right? And this is where he goes completely manic. Oh, yeah. My right, your left. My left, your right. He goes he, absolutely crazy. Yes, yes. And he's lying. Yeah. Like, I'm human, you're Sebastian. I get injured. One wound, I bleed out. Oh, Officer Braca, what the hell happened? Even though it t- turns out that humans seem to be a little bit more durable than Sebastians. At least our necks aren't made of, out of paper. But yeah, and, they don't, and, they, and they don't have weird nerves that if you shoot them that they die uh, two weeks later. Well, not nerves. We have other organs where, right, where they have, But we don't have our sex organs in our hand, which is what John does, like holding Braca's that, gun yes. up against, like, kill my sex life. <laughs> You're insane! My sex life! Kill my sex life! Now! Quick, shoot! Just shoot me! <laughs> And Brad goes, you're insane. Well, a moment before, he actually had the gun up against his groin. So, you know. John Wayne Bobbitt. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> ben Browder was, he did an incredible performance here. He is just crazy. Yes. Yelling. He's panicking. It's like John is completely panicking. It's like he's got like Scorpius looking down his throat. He doesn't want to go back to Scorpius. So he'll literally take any risk at this point. Yeah. He's got no help. He's got no friends. And he is terrified of yes. Scorpius. And he, he manages to get uh, Bracca's gun away from him, and uh, while Bracca is, like, completely unsure what to do, manages to activate this ship's weapon systems. Yeah, he just goes around and does and, and just pushes every button until the weapons are activated, and the automated peacekeeper weapons... Go in- like, oh, hey. Shut the weapons down. Oh, shut them down yourself, Bracca, shut them down yourself. Undeclared craft. You have engaged weaponry in a tactical free zone surrounding the royal planet. You're not supposed to be here. This is a, uh, a royal planet. Stand down or you'll be fired upon, and they are fired upon. Apparently it's a sturdy ship. It can take yeah, some, I was gonna uh, say, quite the, a barrage. Because these things, they're not particularly enthusiastic about shooting them. But yeah, well, we've the, got the, the Australian teamsters standing behind the set, throwing all of their sparklers. <laughs> yes. and, uh, <laughs> More fight scene ensures. It's honestly not much of a fight. Nobody's fighting with each other. John's just going absolutely mental. You're insane! What? You just figured that out? I thought that was common knowledge! Yeah, he ends up throwing Rona into the electrical panel. Do you think he did that on purpose? Do you think that he knew that was there? No, he was throwing her around, because like she runs at him and he flips her over her shoulder and she runs at him again and he throws her in the side and he goes straight into the electrical panel. But you can see it it immediately sobers him, because I don't think he meant to do that. Yeah, she fries. It is a bad end for uh, for Rona. Yep. But nobody has a lot of time to really deal with it because those those D four dice yeah. satellites surround them and are now yeah pelt pum- this, this the craft with these like spiral beams. It looked so cool. Yeah, Bracca grabs the helmet and makes it out of the space uh, the airlock after having another little interlude with John. Yeah, well, John was going to space the both of them. Yeah, you didn't think I was going to go alone, did you? And then Bracca like knocked him out with the helmet. Like you can have the ship, but I've got the helmet. Yes. Uh, John goes, I don't care, uh, jumps out of the airlock himself anyway. Ooh, interesting. I think he does care a little bit. Like, he stomps around like he's going crazy. Right. And he tries to communicate with space control. He goes like, oh, I'm the prince, I'm the regent here, stop shooting. But the console explodes. Yeah, space control's not having any of it. Uh, Or they don't recognize him, or the communication doesn't come through. And then what happens? He jumps out of the airlock. No, 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 stay with me. What happens now? I guess he gets a, a calm sort of acceptance. 
He hears Scorpius's right. voice. Oh, that's no. I, actually, okay, I yeah, have that. So, all right. I was uh, so I actually have a note about that. Yeah, he he. Oh, hears, tell me about that. Tell me because I'm fascinated. I heard the voice and I was like, okay, who is this? I I didn't immediately recognize the voice. Focus, John. Panic is unacceptable. You will survive. And I wasn't. Oh, sure, really? I wasn't sure if it was. I was pretty sure it wasn't his father's voice, but I wasn't sure if it was Scorpius or not. Oh wow! But yeah, he he hears he hears the voice in his head uh, and tells him like panic is unacceptable. Yep, you have to live. You must survive. No, you've come too far to die. I don't understand why that was Scorpius. Would have been Scorpius. Why? That yeah, how, where, where that comes okay, from? Okay, on the on the one hand, I feel a little guilty for like yeah. spoiling this for you. On the other hand. I heard Scorpius's voice. I think a lot of people would have recognized the voice. You were supposed mm. to recognize the voice. So, no, like, I assume, you know, I uh, considered it as an option. Yeah, I will never like deny you knowledge that you should have right. uh, uh, that you no. should uh, uh, have to enjoy the show. It is Scorpius's voice yeah. who informs him that he has to live. Why would his gut instinct to or his self-preservation instinct be Scorpius? Right? Yeah. But that's what drives him yeah. to grab a gun and head to the airlock and jump out. Never get off the boat. Never get off the boat, man. And jump out. And use the oh. gun to like propel himself through the vacuum of space towards the transport port, which has been undocked earlier because the yes. uh, the docking port needed to be free for a, uh, a prowler which was going to come to pick them up. Very good. He uh, floats through space, does a little bit of shooty to get himself in the right direction and manages Amazing to... Amazing shot. Finally the present ship is blown up and the impact sort of knocks him the rest of the way that he needs to go into mm-hmm. the transport pod, but he still has to climb the ladder and you hear the heartbeat and he's got his mouth open but you can't hear him. You see his eyes no. are going red until he finally climbs into the transport twitching and wheezing until apparently he gets enough air into his lungs to scream. Uh, A hard vacuum transit. uh I think this is honestly the first time that I've seen it portrayed accurately. Sort of accurately because you have maybe 10, 15 seconds of consciousness tops according to uh, uh, the data that we have from various animal tests and accidents. Mm -hmm. Humans have occasionally been accidentally depressurized in the space program. Uh, You don't have a lot of time, but like your eyes don't explode and your tongue doesn't freeze. Although they did kind of try to put that in the uh, earlier episode with the decompression uh, thing, when his uh, virus started cracking in uh, Dream a Little Dream. Yes. Yeah, no, very good. It was Dream a Little Dream, yeah. That was was Zan's dream. Maybe she doesn't know. Maybe maybe she's used to how peacekeepers respond to vacuum, which is exploding like a balloon. (laughs) Yes, I mean... Um, Speaking of Zan... Uh, yes, uh, she's uh, on board a dying Moya, I suppose. Demands, yep. demands that Caligula come and address her. Kahenu, present yourself! He calls it unpriestly conduct. She threatens him, and he, like, disappears from where he's where she's pointing the gun and yeah, reappears behind reappears her. Yeah, reappears on the other side. She pleads for him that Pilot is going to uh, die. That's and, right. Uh, she pleads with him to have them build another ship for pilots to transit. And he goes, oh, it's not of our concern. We're not inclined to do that. Yeah. I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. <laughs> <laughs> we are not prepared to do more than we have. I should say goodbye before it is too late. 
Once again, that lovely Welsh accent. Mm. We are not prepared to do more than we have already done. John is back on the planet and... He's uh, getting a facial. At this point, I don't think the prop department is even trying because this is just... Oh. No, come on. This is literally just a, a transparent face mask with blue LED stuck onto it. Yes. It's, it's just, That's sci-fi. <laughs> it's, have you seen Doctor Who? I suppose I was this just is, okay. I was just underwhelmed by this but but this display it's like I'm uh, going to jump in and defend it and I'm going to consider it consistent with the technology that we've seen on this wealthy well-to-do technologically advanced true. planet that all of their technology is subdued and they want it out of the way mm-hmm. so if they have some kind of like facial reparative technology you'd still want to see your face through it you'd want okay. the technology almost to dissolve into the world around it this is me being very charitable right. but but it is literally what it looks like it's like a Face, transparent face marks with yeah. blue LEDs and wiring, it's all still visible. It's literally, yeah. It's, it yeah. didn't bother. No, okay, no. You're entirely, your judgment is entirely your own. We have Dargo sitting beside him, showing a lot of boob, basically. Man boob. Yes. Like his pecs are always proudly oh, on display, yes. but they're beautifully lit here. He's, yeah, he's showing off his double Ds. And he's telling Crichton, once again, these are your options. You can run, you can stay. Either way. I'll back whenever you do. I'll support you. Yep. This is the relationship they have now. Erin walks in, kind of observes what's going on in the talk between Dargo and John. Dargo gives them some space. I'm very proud of you. Why? Being Crichton. Crichton, I always knew. And they have the first proper conversation because all of the conversations that they had last time were like they were ineffectual Crichton was asking for an alternative than Aaron's judgment and Aaron only had judgment and now they're really talking about how they feel Aaron still doesn't have a a, a concrete alternative except John asks her the question what do you do when there's no more fighting you and she a warrior a soldier says you run away and he goes run you and me and she goes all of us together, which is yeah. clearly the wrong answer at it's this point. It's the wrong point. answer. Yeah. He still can't, and he just falls back. He can't fight anymore, and she's disappointed. After she said how proud she was of him yeah. for fighting and for not giving up and for surviving the incredible odds of being stuck on a derelict spaceship with no way off, under attack from yep. all sides. Was I wrong? You're no longer the Crichton I knew. She goes to uh, Count Australian accent and basically invites him to the barren waste, uh, wastelands to have a little bit of a... Uh, <laughs> Is that what they're calling it these days? Yes. Uh, um, and he goes running after her. Then we get that shot, what I was talking about, where just like John moping and the camera shot pulling out from him, which kind of felt a little, a little bit like uh, scene padding to me. I get you. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that we really got to spend time, because this was the moment where my pen dried up, and I was just, <laughs> oh. And it's like, the, I mean, I've joked about Australian soap operas. They're great. They're gripping. Mm. Once you're into them, as my mother frequently was when I still lived at home and we were watching Neighbours and... Neighbours. Everybody needs good neighbours. Neighbours. Just a little understanding. <laughs> you can make a perfect day. Never seen any Really? Of no, nothing. Okay, well, you sing Flying Doctors then. <laughs> I don't think it had words. That's a different Australian one. Zahn is saying goodbye to Moya. To Pilot, specifically. Oh, yes, sorry. She's in with Pilot. Pilot who is accepting of his fate. Yeah. He got to see the stars, which is the thing he wants. Yes. I have seen the stars. 
at this point, I'm sitting there wondering, so what are pilots called before they're called pilot? Yeah, we do not know. Well, <laughs> it, it may in fact be like impossible to correctly pronounce. Like their language is hugely complicated. Fair enough, yeah. Maybe they don't even have names. Maybe they have a scent. Who knows? Good point. Yeah. But it's like interesting. We don't even the, know the name of their species. They're always referred to as pilot. And that's yep. it. The yeah. previous pilot. It's, uh, I mean, it's a great question. Meanwhile, on uh, the planet, the wedding preparations are in full swing. We are moving in towards the, uh, the end of it. Yes, there are, once again, no consequences. John complains about this for a little bit. This is the third attempt on his life. Yeah. Three near-death experiences in a day, and she's going to do nothing. But to dismiss any particular party during a coronation would have long-term effects, as Dar- Dargo explained, yeah. which he in turn learned from Rigel. Like Dargo says, Rigel's been very... Takes a breath. Excellent at teaching me. Yes. Wow! He has a little uh, one-to-one with Scorpius, who seems to still be undaunted. Until he says, I yes. asked for only one wedding present, yeah. that you be banished from this planet forever. And you know what they said? Yes, your highness. Oh. <laughs> and Scorpius goes, goes oh. Oh. <laughs> and still that smile. He so, still, he, he graciously he, accepts his defeat. It's like he's moonwalking out of yeah. her finger gunsing, like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> and now we get the wedding scene. Now, I happen to know that this wedding scene, where, oh, no, Scorpius is still there. He yeah, kneels. Yeah. He, he sort of struggles to kneel. He does. The, yeah, maybe he's got a bad knee. Do you know what I think? Oh. Maybe it's all the rubber. Oh, certainly that. Wayne Pygram suffered, like, he had a he had an illness for a while, something oh. with his digestive system. So maybe this was uh, okay. Uncomfortable for him to kneel. Yes, oh, I don't know. But uh, so yes, we get this uh, this wedding sequence where uh, uh, Princess Katrala is being walked around this room, and she's sort of brushing hands with everyone there. Once again, making great use of this one room. Yeah, spending a lot of time there. Which uh, not not only has it to show you the, your baby machine, but it has also turned you into a statue machine. It's a wonderful machine. Yeah, that. it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, where the uh, the empress asks if there's any objections to this uh, marriage and then they should rise and be heard. I loved uh, Chana's hairpiece, by the way, in this scene. Oh, good. I had a note about that as well. So all the women wear these sort of... They sort of look like ice cream wafers. Yes. If you take out the middle bits yeah. in their hair. And mm. Chiana has a tiara and it's just great. Mm. They're all great. And this, this is where I noticed that uh, all the relatives and people involved in the bridal party, I suppose, are wearing red. I guess that's a, yeah, that's a royal family sort of thing, but it's extended yeah. to right. uh, Dargo. That's what, that's what I mean. Dargo and Chiana and Rigel, yeah, they're, all they wearing, can... yeah, they're all wearing the same red. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess you... he is his best man. Uh, so who even... do you think the guy is who is walking the princess around? Is that her father that we've not seen before? Right. At all? It's Maybe he was the previous uh, regent consort. Yeah. That it, consort. <laughs> regent who... consort. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah. So the thing that I most noticed throughout this whole scene was there are aliens here. Yes. And they're kept out of view. It's, it's really hard to tell them, but there is definitely a Sheyang. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen those in a while. Listen, asshole. Okay, yes. I, uh, those were the pirates? The or? fire-breathing fish people right. from uh, those, yes. uh, the PK Tech Girl. So there's a Sheyang there, and it's, and it's fairly out of view. Mm-hmm. There's a few other background aliens that have been background aliens before. One of them is like a mulleted, like dark-skinned, white, uh, uh, white-eyed, like sort of a white pattern around the eyes, like certain types of uh, primate. I suppose like, those are the em- emissaries of all the other people that these exactly. people have uh, relations with. I wish they'd gotten close-ups. I so mm. wanted to see what kind of aliens are, are here. Because I've been wondering about these uh, uncharted territories. 
they know a lot of these species. Mm-hmm. Like peacekeepers know about scarrens that are in the uncharted territories. Rigel, as we saw recently with the Holosian attack and the body swapping, managed to procure Hynerian Marjules, a type of mollusk from his yes. planet that he enjoys. So after the ceremony here, there is apparently a move to a different room where there's more people uh, involved witnessing the actual hand fasting, I suppose, which is literally what they do. They have their hands against each other and they've got this little ribbon between them. And Yeah, I don't know whether it's another room or whether the camera just turned the other way because I Possible. still think that it's the same room where apparently you can have a walk around in complete privacy, the sort of magical TARDIS room. Yeah. The hand fasting is a nice way to put it. And you see, like, Rigel is, oh, he's just captivated. He's in his, his element. I smell power again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he sees himself as the royal advisor at some point in, in 80 cycles time. Oh, wow, Yes. God, yeah. How about having Rigel as your vizier? Yeah. Oh, yes. You just have to like keep an eye on him. But you, know. you could do worse. Yeah. You could do better though. <laughs> totally. <yeah. laughs> and after the marriage ceremony, there is like some heartfelt goodbyes, where especially Dargo and Chiana are encouraging uh, John in his uh, upcoming uh, statuification. Chiana gives him a hug and yes. says, "I love you." Yes. Because she does. Yes. Uh, That's so so wonderful. So sweet. Yes. And the princess seems to have completely come to terms with marrying John and becoming the royal couple because she uh, says that uh, as she steps into the uh, statuification chamber that she will be waiting uh, for 80 cycles with love in her heart. Oh, bless. uh, Before she gets turned into a rather fetching statue. Yeah, that was a bit of a sort of a panic moment for the the props department who had done all the life casts on these actors, cast these statues, and then they were getting ready to wheel them onto set. And then they realized, oh, hair and makeup has completely changed the hairstyles since the last time that we had these sketches. Oh, damn. They're doing, oh, so they're doing Greek hair now. Well, no, hold on, hold on. And they just very quickly recast a new sculpture that matched the, yeah. So keeping the sort of face piece, but okay, we're doing different hair. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, a little cheap, a little cheap out on the uh, the transformation shot when they start putting the effect over her, and then there's a convenient yeah, there's a color in, in the way in there, and then oh, now it's a statue. Hey, uh, it works. It I does. I respect no, this I kind of. It's a continuous camera move. So, it is. and then it's John's turn. Yes. He gets a quick bit of advice. Oh, by the way, it's excruciatingly painful because yes. it's only calibrated for observation. So try and be cool. And go, yeah, that's the oh. brother. That's the prince getting his last little dig in. That uh, was even Tino. Oh, so it's Tino. Uh, it's yes. Tino. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I know they're all like brown-haired Australians. They're hard to tell apart. Feel free to wake me up anytime, Dargo. Well, now I can only speak truth. Dargo has a little bit of bad news and a little bit of good news before uh, John goes in the chamber. Well, give me the bad news first. You're going to be stuck here for 80 years on a planet, and yep, and then you're going to have to rule forever. Okay, and what's the good news? Jenner and I are having fantastic sex. <laughs> Which actually cracks John up. And it's so great. <laughs> Seeing them laughing together is so wonderful. Yes. Uh, he goes into the chamber, tries to do the V pose. I'm going to be your damn ruler, and he gets turned into a... Yep, he's... Yeah. He's, he's like a teenager on like Lollapalooza who thinks, oh, I'm going to get my first tattoo, smiling for the camera, and then the needle goes in his arm. Yes, sinks down to his knees, one arm up, one hand raised, and uh, yeah, I think he's going to be like the statue standing there with a little tablecloth over him because, like, you know, this is like. 
Like the, the, the senators are going to be standing there like, we have to look at this for the next 80 cycles. Oh, he's like one of those Buddhist monks who self-mummified. Yes, pretty much. I remember that story. I think he was uh, Laotian. Realized that he was uh, uh, reaching the end of his life, and uh, apparently, it's a tradition among some Buddhist sects mm-hmm. to self mummify. And so, for the last few of his days, he wouldn't drink water. He would only eat like bowls of salt. Oh, the process is much longer than that. Desiccating yeah. himself, yeah. but yeah, and uh, until finally he died while while meditating mm-hmm. and was just left meditating. Yep. And eventually, okay, he wasn't perfectly mummified, no. so he started to decay a little bit. So, like. They used some of the donations that they got from tourists to buy a pair of sunglasses to yes. put over his eyes because they were gross. And then they, okay, well, the rest of it is kind of gross. And so like put a shirt on him as well and like put him in a chair in a corner. Yeah. And then it turned out like a, a family of lizards were living in his uh, abdominal sure. yeah. cavity, which they thought was well, great because New that life. is. Yeah, that's yeah. ultimate Buddhist. Uh- <laughs> but just imagine like going in there as a novice monk, as just inducted, and off in the corner is like Lao Tung or whatever his name was in a Hawaiian shirt with sunglasses <laughs> yes, sort of yes, gazing they're going like- with like lizard coming out of his ears. <laughs> so here we are left. To be continued. Yeah, how did you feel when you saw those three little words? I kind of felt them coming. It's like, it's like at this point you're sitting there going, okay, the pace is wrong, there's not going to be a resolution. So you kind of know yes. that it's going to happen. Something you would have had to be introduced here already for... Yeah, uh, yeah. because like I said, I was like about two-thirds into the episode, I was going like, okay, there's something off here, the pacing's not right. You start to feel it, right? Yes. Because you used to... I mean, a cat has no concept of time. But she knows that this is around the time where she would normally... Normally get fed, yes. (laughs) Oh, I saw some advice recently from someone. When you have to take medication at a certain time, Uh uh, take your medication and give your cat a treat. Because if you ever forget, your cat won't. Yeah, the cat will remind you that, oh, it's treat time. It's treat time. And so, oh, yes, I've got to take my meds. Yeah. Very clever. What did you think of this episode? I think it suffered a little bit from middle of a trilogy episode, but other than that, it was very well done. Are you brave enough to cast your willies and woodies? She gives me a woody. She gives you the willies. Oh, right. Um, Tricky, right? Right. Well, my willy actually, and this is probably going to upset you a little bit, would would go to John's spacewalk. Really? I did not like the way that was shot. Okay. I can sort of understand where you're coming from. Like, there was a bit of camera wobble. Yeah, and and there was some obvious green screening of him flipping about. And, you know, it's like... It lasted a little bit long. He had a lot of agency. He, he could still see what he was doing, grabbing onto the module. The airlock cycle, awfully quick here. It's like, it just like, rubbed. I know it's it's no, I know it's a sci-fi yeah. show and you're, you're supposed to give those things a little bit of leeway. But in general, that, that, yeah, that rubbed me a little bit wrong. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely fair. I'm not going to argue with you because it's 2021 now. Yes. We've had the expanse. Yes. We've had, you know, it's, it's hard to unsee that. I remember this. This whole sequence has my Woody, obviously. Right, yeah. I remember this, and I had never seen anything like it. No, I guess not. Right, not in Star Trek, which has a much higher budget throughout. Yes. They had never done anything as as bold as a hard vacuum transit. I'd maybe yeah. seen it at this time in um, Event Horizon, but it also wasn't scientifically accurate. They, they, they do one in Titan it. AE, which, but that's not... That, no, but, but that is accurate comic, as well. Sorry, cartoon, yeah. But, but I don't that know, is if, also is that like earlier need... or later. I don't know when was Titan. When did Titan Same, A come out? Uh, ninety nine, I want to say, right. two thousand thereabout. I mean, it was it was pretty much yeah. the same time, but same kind of concept. Yes. using some kind of propellant to push yourself in uh, in some direction. But yes, his accomplishment accomplishment there was superhuman. Yes. like a real human would no. not be able to keep it. For a start, your eyes would immediately frost over. Why? Like they might, 
No, sorry, the, sorry, the, the liquid would start to boil off. That's it. What would immediately start happening? So you got dry eyes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that picks up with your vision. Also, your eyes, you, you, your eyes are also dependent on the transition layer between air and your eye. There's a different refraction index. Then, then between, between air and vacuum, and, yeah. but it's like me taking off my uh, my glasses. I'd still yeah. be able to find the one car in the parking lot. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. No, I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm being flippant here. I told you I wasn't going to, to argue no, no. with you, but <laughs> hey. <laughs> but yes, Woody's, let's see. Um, yeah. I think that would go to the scene in, with Rigel and the Empress. Oh, like, very good, how yes. He's like smoothly... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Smoothly insinuating himself and trying to. Uh, no, you're quite no, right. Yeah. That's that's really. I think that was my good. favorite scene in this uh, in this episode. Oh god, I have so many other Woodies that I w- <laughs> it's got to be the space one. Like it can't be Rigel, even though that's right up there. Other one is it's not you, it's me. I don't <laughs> yes, like you. Okay, no. <laughs> like, that's also way up there. I'm having a much harder time with the Willies though. Yeah. I think maybe my Willie is that the Scarron didn't get a lot to do this episode. No, I suppose not. His his, his plot has been sort of fully exposed in the first episode, and we know what his plans yeah. are. But he's not really doing anything other more than other than the gas sphere, which apparently was a Scarron thing, I think, or maybe it wasn't. That's the hypothesis. We just don't it was, know. It was the prince who, like, obviously set it on his sister and John. What an episode! I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of the more melodramatic episodes. Where oh, you'd... quite yes have some some lingering like synth violins like telling you the emotions <laughs> and that's the story so far escape uh see us next week for episode 213 the maltese Crichton, or look at the princess part three yes in which as the players begin to make their move all of moya's crew find themselves in danger and john is nowhere to be found which sounds weird, because oh, maybe someone loses the statue. That uh, doesn't... Ooh, dear. I mean, a, that could almost be a description for this one, couldn't it? Yes. I wonder if maybe it's an administrative mistake, or maybe it's perfectly accurate. I think we'll find out next time. <laughs> you can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook, on Twitter, SoFarscape.com, and wherever you get your podcast. And yes, we have launched our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash SoFarscape. Once again, whatever you're, you're comfortable with, it's totally cool with us. Like... Tears start at $1 and they all get the same benefits and the benefits are all stupid. Yes. Uh, I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so far, skate so, so good. good.